I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. And I'm Jeff Umbrell. Today, Jack Bugby and Kai Hayward speak with us about the process and hurdles of the Rainbow Alliance and Fashion for Philanthropy drag show. Then, a short story about the haunting at Rose Hill. Also, Brandon Sapienza tells us about his anger and frustration with the MTA. This is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. Joining us today are Jack Bugby and Kai Hayward, co-hosts of the Rainbow Alliance and Fashion for Philanthropy drag show. Can you speak a little bit about the process of starting the drag show? Well, I first brought the idea to Jack, um, I'd say it was in the spring semester of last year, and right away I knew that this was going to be something big, and he was so excited about it, and immediately we started getting to work. We found a weekend where there were no people in Pope Auditorium, and so I requested it through OrgSync and through other channels that Christina Frankovic explained to me at the time. There was no pushback at all. Christina, in fact, reached out to me and said how excited she was about the drag show. From a scheduling standpoint, it was a little difficult because we had to find a time where there was no one in Pope Auditorium. And I was actually told by Christina that Splinter Group wanted that room, but we had already requested it. Uh, So Splinter had to get the day before. (laughs) How did you first come up with the idea for the drag show? Um, Well, I actually went to a drag show and I saw it as a great place where everyone was free to be themselves and express themselves however they wanted. And I thought, how could we use this to do something good for our own community? Um, I just wanted to not only create a similar space for Fordham students, because I don't really feel that Fordham has many spaces that people can express themselves um, in that way, at least. And then what, what was it like? Because I, when I went to attend the show, I got, I got down to the lobby outside of Pope, and there's just the line, you know, snaking all through the entire lobby. You know, what was it like to see such, such a strong, you know, turnout? Well, I didn't get to see the line, but <laughs> when I... When we opened the show and I first walked out on stage and I saw all of Pope filled and I saw people standing on the sidelines because there were no seats left, I, it's hard to explain or it's hard to describe the emotion that I felt, but it was a mixture of fear and excitement. Uh, and uh, I was extremely happy with the turnout. Um, we had uh, over 250 people come, partially because of the large turnout and also just because Fordham students are pretty cool. We were able to raise uh, $986 for the LGBT Center of New York City. Talk to me about the moment that you found out about the TFP petition. What was that like? It was heartbreaking at first. Um, I got a text message from Renata, who is the vice president of Rainbow Alliance, saying, hey, I don't know if you guys are aware, but someone's petitioning against our show, and... Immediately, I was very sad. Um, I think we have a strong um, emphasis on in communities that are oppressed on fighting through and like staying strong and not letting it get to you. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that mental health does take a toll when people act that way or people are homophobic or transphobic or racist or anything. 
like that, um, it does take a toll. And um, obviously I was upset, but use we use that, or I use that emotion to power through, like it, to fuel that um, resistance. And I felt that the community, the Rainbow Alliance really banded together to push back against that. I very quickly realized that it was kind of, uh, am I allowed to curse? It's kind of bullshit. <laughs> um, and it was from an outside organization that had nothing to do with Fordham University, and they were just accusing Fordham of being un-Catholic, which is ridiculous. And they were just kind of mad about the fact that we're allowed to be gay on campus. And I was like, okay, this is annoying and dumb, but I don't think anything will come of it. And so I decided in the moment to do a Facebook Live video because I was like a bit in shock, uh, but also because, you know, any publicity is good publicity. Um, and then after the petition, a lot of alumni organizations were reaching out and saying like, hey, we have a counter petition. We have all of these things that we're trying to do to, to make sure that the administration doesn't bother you. And uh, I was very appreciative. And actually, right after I made the Facebook Live video, I called the office of President McShane and basically told them, hey, they have your contact information on this weird petition that has 10,000 signatures on it, so you guys should probably be prepared for some calls. <laughs> um, and then they thanked me for warning them and got me in contact with uh, public safety and all that sort of stuff. Um, everyone from the administration was basically like, we're sorry this is happening, um, more so than, oh, we have to review if we're going to let you do it. Um, so there were, there were times during the week where I was talking to people and they were kind of getting in my head about, that people, about the fact that people might just show up and like interrupt the drag show, which I obviously didn't want and also would make a lot of our students feel very unsafe to have like radical right-wing Catholic group just show up at our door. The drag show was just meant as something fun, something educational about drag history. Um, it was not supposed to be, it was not meant to be super political. It was slightly political, but <laughs> it wasn't meant to get, <laughs> it wasn't meant to get that big. Like it wasn't meant to be on the, uh, on the public stage, more on like the internal Fordham stage. So we've talked a lot about prep for the drag show and the circumstances surrounding it, but we haven't actually spoken about the drag show itself. Was there a particular moment of the drag show that was your favorite or that stood out to you? As far as like performers go, every single person was amazing and I loved every performance. Uh, the stand-up was hilarious and the lip-syncing was great. I was so proud of everyone. A favorite moment of mine, particularly because I love to be the center of attention, was um, during my second lip sync of Bring Me to Life by Evanescence <laughs> was uh, the moment where the entire audience was shouting back the, the wake me up. It was just exciting and funny because we all have grown up as individual people, and yet we all have this primal memory <laughs> of this song. Uh, and everyone was able to sing along. It was, a, it was a really great moment to have everyone singing along at the same time. Is there any message that you'd like to send to 
the LGBTQ folks on campus and also to any doubters out there like those who perpetuated the petition. To the LGBTQ students of Fordham University, I hope that the drag show showed you that the student body has your back. Um, right now we're working on a chosen name and pronoun policy. So we're encouraging and writing to all department heads, asking them to put into their syllabi a clear policy that they will use whatever name and pronouns that the students choose to use. We are demanding from the administration that they change housing policies that are transphobic. And our vision for Rainbow is that this is our yearly event um, that everyone can get behind in the fall semester. Um, so yeah, this is definitely the first of many. And to people who believe that that it is uncatholic to be LGBTQ, um, I would say we proved you wrong. The following segment is a fictional story based on true-to-life events. Joining us to tell it is Chloe Rice. Over the years, Fordham University has amassed its fair share of hauntings and ghost stories. The Rose Hill campus in particular seems to attract these tall tales. Stories of chairs and doors moving on their own free will, specters of long-dead Jesuit priests wandering the halls, and strange little girls with no feet stalking the bathrooms. But the story we have today isn't just creepy, it's physically unsettling. On June of 2014, a construction crew was on its way to Fordham Preparatory School to do renovations and refurnishings on the commons. Fordham Prep students avoided the construction zone, shuffling along to their morning classes with nary a worry in the world except for the various tests they had to cram for or essays they had to finish. It was, all in all, a completely ordinary morning. Around 11.30am the same day, the construction crew began to dig around the back of Fordham Prep's Shea O'Brien Hall, where a tree lay in the way. Having gotten permission to clear the land, they went to work and began hacking it down, tearing the branches and chopping up the bark. As soon as they started uprooting it, however, a foul smell began to waft through the air. It invaded their senses, and the construction crew had to stop work in order to investigate, and it didn't take long before the smell found its way inside Fordham Prep, where the horrible stench triggered a school-wide evacuation. With buried noses and gritted teeth, the construction crew discovered something horrifying. A skull, half-broken and missing some of its teeth. The police were called, and forensic analysis identified it as a female skull, and had been buried behind the campus for over 30 years. No other remains were discovered in the area. Students began to amateurishly investigate the mystery skull as the pervasive smell never let anyone forget about it. Whispers soon spread throughout Fordham Prep of a grisly murder that had taken place at that same spot when the school was undergoing construction in the 1970s. Details began to emerge. In the 70s, a Fordham Prep student had brought his girlfriend to the campus. Unbeknown to him, an escaped prisoner from Rikers Island had decided to lay low in the Bronx and snuck into the Fordham University campus to try and find a place to sleep at night. The couple were there at the same time, having stayed late due to a drama club rehearsal. While the boyfriend was practicing his lines on stage, the girlfriend wandered around the campus, eventually spotting the convict by some construction equipment that had been left behind. Alarmed, she tried to go warn the security personnel, but it was too late. She was struck in the back of the head with a brick. 
The convict went to a nearby shed and grabbed some tools, hacking the body apart until it was unrecognizable bits. When he was satisfied, he dumped the remains in various parts of the construction yard. It didn't take long for everything to be filled in and for everyone to start wondering where the missing girl had gone. The convict was never apprehended, and there was no proof of his crimes until more than three decades later. And the stench? No one could figure out what was causing it, until one night when a group of half-drunk and exhausted university students began to walk back to Fordham down a path that went by Fordham Prep. The students stopped when they saw something. A young girl, no older than a teenager, was standing across the way. She slowly approached the group, smiled, before beginning to bleed from her eyes, ears, and mouth. Her body crumpled until it was nothing but a mess of cut-up limbs and organs. The students ran, terrified, to the public safety officials. Further investigation showed no trace of what the students had claimed to see, and it was ruled as simply a prank made by unfunny and drunk college kids. The smell disappeared soon after that, but students from Fordham Prep swear that they sometimes see strange girls staring at them from the corners of their eyes, and a weird shiver touches their bones any time someone looks too long at where the old tree was. Maybe it was a prank. Maybe it wasn't. Or maybe it was yet another ghost to add to Rose Hill's long list of hauntings. Joining us today is Brandon Sapienza, who wrote Metropolitan Trash Authority for the Opinion Section. Thanks for joining us, Brandon. My pleasure to be here. Can you describe your daily commute to Fordham? Well, I do take the uh, the D train from the 79th Street Station in uh, Brooklyn, and I take that to 59th Street Columbus Circle, and that ride usually is about an hour or so, and usually what I find is the delays happen around West 4th Street. The signals are always messed up, and the trains slow down in what should be an express area. So that's the biggest challenge I usually have to face going and coming home. Can you give us a specific moment of frustration that sort of encapsulates, you know, just how frustrating the MTA can be at times? I was on the D train going towards Manhattan, and we were at the Atlantic Avenue station. I think there's this thing in the tracks where if the motorman isn't aware of the you know the area around him, he has to pr- he or she has to press a button to like you know notify like I don't know whatever electronics. Um, but I guess this person didn't, and the train came to a stunning halt, and the entire train car just jolted, and um, that had to be the m- most annoying that I faced just because I was woken up from my nap um we had to wait at the station for like a half hour to figure out what just happened so that's what i can think of the top of my head are are there other ways to travel around the city that are cost efficient but you know are faster and better run um not really i mean you could do uber maybe but that's not also cost effective um yeah what, what are your general thoughts on like uber and lyft and other um ride share companies I think they're great for a night out or just maybe I don't know, getting to the Yankee game. Well, that's that's no, you have the four train for that, but um, just you they're good for when you're when you're not in the mood to go on the subway. So I think those are cool to have in the city, but they also are expensive. How do you feel about the sort of continual rise of 
the MetroCard uh, prices. Oh, it's an absolute joke. But what were the prices when you when you first started commuting regularly in high school or whenever that was? I think it was. It might have been two twenty five, or it might have been two fifty. It's one of those. It was two twenty five. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was two twenty five in my freshman year, and then it. I didn't pay. We had a student metro card, so I didn't pay. Thankfully, but until I started here, I realized how much it really is. It's not just the metro card. What you're paying for, since I do live in Brooklyn and we do go to Staten Island often, um, a bridge crossing is even with an easy pass is just ridiculous amount of money that doesn't really i don't see the point in why it would cost this much nearly as twenty dollars if you don't have an easy pass so what are some solutions you think can be applied to make sure that the mta can be a little more efficient big question that is a big question (laughs) um there are so many problems with the, the how it's operated we have upstate politicians determining the funding for the MTA, so I don't really understand why a assemblyman or a senator, a state senator from Buffalo would have any impact on how much funding a city and sort of upstate kind of form of transportation. I don't know why they would determine how much that gets because it, by the end of the day, in Buffalo they have – a smooth ride to, to and from work while we have to suffer in the hot tunnels and dirty, disgusting train cars. So I think that's the big problem. I think it just needs an overall. It needs an overhaul. Where do you think a, a, an overhaul would need to like start? Like, where's, what's the first thing you would address? I think the first thing to address is the signals. There's the L line is the only line in the city to have a modern um, signaling system, and that took over ten years to do. And if you're familiar with the L line, it has not as many stops as some other important trains like the the B or the D. So I think that would need to be the first thing to be uh, achieved. But also new train cars. The D train is disgusting. It's It smells. It has this, like, weird funky smell to it. Um, and, you know, get trains like the what you see on, like, the E-Line. The E-Line has nice cars, and it's clean. It's a better look to it. Also, it fits more people. So let's go back a little bit to politicians. What do you think are some policies that Cuomo or de Blasio can put in place that can help mitigate the problems? Well, I think the first thing they have to do is determine how the funding is being achieved. Governor Cuomo took $8.6 billion from thin air to get funding to repair the, uh, the, the MTA, the, at least the subway. And I think the next thing is to determine who has control over the funds. If you want the state politicians to have it, or if you want de blasio and the mta to have it that needs to be discussed because cuomo and de blasio have been at odds for years now so i think that also plays into effect on this big issue if you had to send a message to the people who take the subway every day here at fordham you know what what would you say to them well i would say first i'm sorry that they have to do that um i just say be patient i don't know for what i don't expect much to happen by the time I graduate, but hopefully I'll stay hopeful and um, eventually that we'll get some repairs and something will happen where we see commutes for everyone smooth out and just be in normal part of the day where you don't have to worry about missing work or being late to a test like I was or just any of that. 
just you'll have a smooth day and that will just be another part of your daily life that will just happen and that will be it well thank you so much for coming on brandon no thanks for having me this has been episode three of retrospect i'm kevin christopher robles and i'm jeff umbrell until next time 